0: Okay, so we're going to talk about now a different aspect of wise view, if you will, and I'm remembering that one time I went on a retreat and they were talking about, um, it was a different tradition, and they were talking about the way the mind starts out kind of inherently pure and then these um, things kind of get added onto it and it's a little bit like what we talked about with the views or the lenses or the frames but the way it was structured is that the very subtlest you know first little indication of delusion um, was talked about first and and then we talked about sort of grosser and grosser ones up into the ones that we would have in our regular daily life and i thought that's Interesting, because usually in our tradition we we start with kind of the stuff that everybody can connect with, and then we get like more and more subtle. But I thought I'd adopt that we were adopting kind of the first approach today, in that the four noble truths that Susan talked about are really the kind of the deepest form of wisdom. I love that the Buddha just starts out the the Eightfold path with the very most fundamental, important teaching. It's like, so in case you die before you hear about wise intention, you at least got the really <laughs> important part. <laughs> so the Four Noble Truths really are the, are the heart of the teachings, and to, really, to understand them completely is actually to be completely awakened. Uh, the rest of us are working on that. And then, so what I'm going to do then is in that same way that I described, I'm going to then talk about another kind of wise view that is completely founded upon the Four Noble Truths but is something that is also very relevant in our daily life and is considered another um, equally valid aspect of wise view that uh, leads to our awakening as um, as we adopt it. So one aspect of the Four Noble Truths, as Susan described them, is that they point out that there's cause and there's effect, or there's actions and results, in a sense. So she first talked about how with suffering, for example, the particular case of suffering, it doesn't just happen randomly. We notice that there's suffering, and then we notice that there's actually a cause or a condition that arises uh, that brings about suffering, and that is grasping. When we're grasping, it's painful. That's the cause, or that's the the coexisting condition. And then that there's a possibility of following the path in order to reach the result of the cessation of suffering, the noble truth. And so if we look at that as the kind of the foundation, oh, there's things that are difficult and causing suffering, and then we can let go and we'll realize the cessation, this is a particular aspect of a larger principle of cause and effect, of action and consequence which is sometimes called karma. which, But I hesitate almost to use that word because it's become very popularized and some of the understandings of it are really not what the Buddha was pointing at. So I think I might prefer to say action and result or cause and effect or something like that in order to consider this. So there is a way in which this is almost sort of a trivial understanding. If you didn't think that there was any possibility of result from your actions, there'd be no way to walk the path. There'd be no reason to be here in a class about the Eightfold Path. So most of us accept at some level that there's some effect that we can have based on taking an action. But the Buddha asks us to look at this a little bit more precisely and carefully and really consider, oh, what kinds of actions are useful and what kinds are not so useful? This is a little bit what you talked about. Which of these frames actually ended up being helpful and which ones weren't? And so we need this reflective quality that Susan brought up to, to really start considering. Oh, I tried this out and it didn't, didn't work so well for me. It doesn't seem to be going in a direction that I want. And so then having the courage to try something different and evaluate, oh, this is working. So we're going to look a little bit at this idea of cause and effect Maybe another important aspect I'll mention as I embark on this is that we have some ability to choose within this system. And this is not going to get into the philosophy of free choice or will or any of that, but just that we have some agency. That's part of intention that we'll get to in framing. How do we get from here, from this moment to the one that is going to be conditioned by it, the next one. And so we have a way that we can walk the path, part of making effort. So you start to see that we're bringing in little other little elements as we embark on this understanding of how are we going to work with the wise view of cause and effect. So we have an understanding then that there's a lawfulness to the way the universe works not random. It's not caused only by a god that we just have to obey. And so, here's the fundamental principle. Skillful actions bring about happiness, some type of happiness. And unskillful actions will lead to suffering. It seems so simple, but we don't necessarily live our lives that way we don't really understand this as deeply as we could but if we look even more deeply i talked about actions we have to step back and actually look at the mind and so there become actions that are motivated by or done under the influence of particular qualities such as greed hatred and delusion those ones are going to lead to suffering And actions that are motivated or done, motivated by or done under the influence of generosity, letting go, loving kindness, compassion, these will lead away from suffering. Again, it sounds remarkably simple, but then there's the bringing forth of that actual understanding and manifestation of it. This is described in the very first lines of the text called the Dhammapada which was a very popular text at the time, by the way. These were poems that were known in society, and even now this is one of the more popular teachings. All experience is preceded by mind, led by mind, made by mind. Speak or act with a corrupted mind, and suffering follows as the wagon wheel follows the hoof of the ox. All experience is preceded by mind, led by mind, made by mind speak or act with a peaceful mind, and happiness follows, like a never-departing shadow. So, um, instead of corrupted, we could say unskillful and something like that. That was the translation. But I like these images, right, because it's um, the first image about what brings about difficulty in our lives. It's like it follows like the wagon wheel follows the hoof of the ox. So you have this sense of kind of effort, and the wagon just gets dragged along and rolls along behind this ox. And it can feel like that with the burdens of our lives. And then the other image is that the happiness will follow like a never departing shadow. And maybe we have a bad image of shadows in our culture, but I think the idea is that it's meant to be something that's very light. Um, The shadow doesn't weigh anything, it takes no effort, it's just there. And so this um, just follows along. We don't have to think about it, it's just right there for us. This is not, you notice, an injunction or a commandment, Um, it just tells us how it works. (laughs) And then it's up to us. Not that we can always do it, that's the part for compassion, but... um, I think you will see, if you start observing, in the way that Susan suggested, that we can see instances of how this comes about, and then we start to see for ourselves, yes, it is true, actually. The times that I was rushed and angry and frustrated, um, it didn't go that well. Not only was that immediately difficult for me, but I created problems in my relationships, and it just, the whole thing was, and then I had to clean it up later. Whereas when I was in a mood where I was feeling spacious and open and I was able to appreciate the situation I was in, lo and behold, not only did I feel better during that, but then the relationships went better and I, what I said was more skillful and I managed not to say that thing I wasn't supposed to say and, you know, it, it just all went better. And so we can start to see that this is just Kind of built into how the universe works, and so then we want to align ourselves with it. We don't do this, you know, to please an external being or something else. Uh, we do it simply because it's what brings happiness. It's what, what's going to feel the best for our heart. It's very concrete, it's not that abstract. We can find examples in our lives. Um, long ago, I, um, I worked in an office and um, I had various deadlines that I was supposed to do. I was really young and so I um, wasn't very good at doing all of that and I would respond to the deadlines and my duties by working harder. I thought, well, if I just work harder, I would kind of tighten up and I would decide, well, if I just finish one more reading task or I write one more email before I take a break, then I'll feel better when I take the break. That's like my justification for sort of allow myself a break. But then, you know, I, I guess I thought that somehow the the accomplishment of having one one additional accomplishment would make up for um, the push that I was doing in order to do it. But I found that that wasn't true. I actually found that I got sort of more stressed out by pushing myself just a little bit harder in order to be less stressed in the future. It really didn't work out that way. And so that's a pretty clear indication of this, right? When I'm acting based on some combination of fear and delusion and aversion to try to cram this last thing in, um, that's what I create for the future, like the wagon wheel following the hoof of the ox. That's what comes about. It doesn't lead to, now I feel better um, having done that, so, you know, basically we, we start to observe, how is it that my behavior is contributing to the mind states that I'm experiencing? Or am I leading towards suffering, away from suffering? When I finally understood that, I kind of backed off and became a little bit more normal. And I think it turned out to be, I shouldn't say normal, I guess people aren't that normal <laughs> in offices. <laughs> um, but I, you know, it was like just a small moment of wise understanding to realize that I could soften up a little bit, and I think it was really better for my co-workers also. So this, um, this really helps not just ourselves, but those immediately around us for sure. Maybe another example I can offer is... Um, The change that I have undergone through um, being a volunteer at a hospital for a number of years and I'll be humble about this because Susan works at a hospital but I, I feel honored to be a volunteer there and I first started volunteering like I don't know 10 or more years ago and I was just volunteering at a children's hospital and my job was to walk around with, um, I was like the library volunteer. So they had all these books on a cart and videos, and I would walk around with the cart and the, let the kids pick out what they wanted. It was kind of fun. Um, and But I was very nervous doing that the first time, like right when I started, because I would approach this door, it was closed, and I would think, I have no idea what's on the other side of that door. And for me, that was like, I didn't really have the skills to just be open and, um, you know, to have the self-understanding maybe that I would uh, just walk in with love and that would automatically help, because maybe I hadn't read this Dhammapada verse, I'm not sure. So, but I did it, you know, and with mindfulness turned out um, well enough. And Later I went on and I took the Saudi Center chaplaincy training program and then I was put in the role of actually being a spiritual caregiver where I would go into a room and deliberately meet the suffering that was happening there and this was in the regular hospital then and try to be of some help to people who weren't necessarily my race, my religion, my uh, background at all, but that was my role. And again I experienced sort of the next layer of, whoa, I'm walking into a room and I don't know anything that's going on in there. Um, but again, uh, just bringing in these, these views of oh what frame am I using? Is this going to be helpful? What can I say that will lead toward or away from suffering? And I found that these principles continue to hold. So I don't have, I don't have fear about that anymore. So over the time, you know, over time I developed the skill of being present and compassionate in the circumstances in a hospital, which includes exposure to a lot of suffering. It didn't come about randomly. It came about uh, because I had developed things like mindfulness, equanimity, compassion, courage, etc. So, the qualities that we develop through the actions that we take then have spiritual consequences. If you come to an eight-month program on the Eightfold Path, you're creating seeds that will bear fruit in various ways, different than if you'd gone to, say, eight Grateful Dead concerts over the next Oh, <laughs> <time. laughs> well, they don't play anymore, do they? Well, uh, I should pick something else. But, uh, you know, these sorts of things. And so it's worth actually considering how am I using my time and what what might be the fruits and the results of the particular thing that I'm doing at this moment. So cause and effect. Our actions matter. What we choose has various results or consequences, and we can choose ways of being and practicing that lead to our own happiness and benefit and to the happiness and benefit of others. And if we do this kind of repeatedly, then we're increasing our skillfulness, and we come to see that maybe the most important dimension of what we're doing is learning about suffering. Is when we set ourselves the aim of, I'm going to try to, as much as possible, move away from suffering, not create more suffering, we set ourselves up for learning about suffering, right? And this is important. This was the task of the First Noble Truth that Susan told us about, is to understand suffering should be understood, turned toward, engaged with. And then we also understand what's the end of suffering. So much more clearly, we see that moment when anger arises and we just let it go. We realize, wow, three months ago I would have said that comment <laughs> and it would have not had very good results. And we feel at that moment the, the freedom that it, it didn't have to happen that way. We had another alternative. And so we experience viscerally and in our own experience that it does matter, uh, the things that we're cultivating, developing, paying attention to. And so this framework of there's suffering and there's the end of suffering, and I can choose actions that will go in either of those directions and they matter, that would be called wise view. And that's the frame we're going to bring to these months together. And it's a chance then to explore our real lives, what's going on in them, What does it mean for us? How is it manifesting for us? So, just as we did in the first half, we're going to, again, break into small groups, and you'll have a chance to talk about some particular skillful and unskillful things that you can see, even just right now, on reflection in your life. But maybe I'll just... um, I'll just pause and ask if there are any questions at this point about wise views since we've now given all the formal teachings on it. And we'll have another chance later, but I thought if there were any burning questions before we went into them, and it's not necessary. Yeah, Doug. Um, The statement of skillful practices lead to happiness and I don't think I, I oversimplified that but I may add. So happiness is a um, part the process of skillfulness uh, is you reality-based uh, expectation that is reconciled. And this is what I'm my thinking. So that happiness is the absence of clinging. Uh, so maybe this don't fit together but that's my Rorschach and I'll give it to you. Okay. <laughs> I like it. Um, I, think, um, I think I've qualified as I was saying that, that skillful actions lead to a, a type of happiness. And I said that deliberately because there's multiple types of happiness. <laughs> and um, So you'll get one of them if you do something skillful, you'll get one of the types. You said happiness is the absence of clinging. I might say peace is the absence of clinging. Um, and there are ways in which people would say that is the very highest happiness. Um, does that help a little bit? It does. Okay. Yeah, Sharon. Could you please repeat um, I, uh, the three and three um, that get that, that you? what you don't want and what you want. Is it fear, greed, and delusion? Oh, you're you're moving on to intention. Oh, sorry. (laughs) Greed, hatred, and delusion are the so-called three poisons. There's many expressions of that list. That's a common one. There are other ways of saying that here's a set of things that lead to suffering, but that's a common one, greed, hatred, and delusion. And then the opposite I wrote as um, Generosity, loving-kindness, and compassion. Thank but the generosity, I would say, is really letting go. Because that, that has to include the wisdom side. Mm-hmm. Generosity makes it a little bit more specialized. So letting go, loving-kindness, and compassion. Thank you. And those are the three wise intentions. Chomping at the bit, probably too. I'm like, I'm like, oh, yeah, it's okay. This is I'm very, saying, you know? know, Mary Grace, or the founder of the Sangha, used to say that the Dharma is holographic, <laughs> and if we just start anywhere, we'll get everywhere. <laughs> and so, this, um, I love this because I, we all, as we practice the Dharma and study it, we start working out all these little linkages for ourselves, and we say, whoa, this connects to that. I never saw the way that works out. And then, if you share that with someone, it might be really helpful for them, too. So that's part of what we're doing on these Sundays, actually. Plus, I'm always looking for the dos and don'ts, you know, the how-to. So oh, okay. So is that your framework? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I okay. Think it is. Yeah. yeah. So I can notice that. Okay. Cool. All right. So let's. Um okay. So um, finishing your last thought. We'll have, a, we'll have a second question, so we didn't want to end on such a negative note, so the second question is, uh, give an example of a good skill or quality that you have developed over time. So it could actually be something like an art form or a craft um, or some personal quality that you've cultivated, of your quality of the heart or mind so what and then the question is what inner qualities or ways of thinking supported this development and just name a few of such qualities so for example like i gave the hospital example where i had ended up um developing courage to go into a situation that i didn't uh, know what was going on and you know it helped that I had the compassion and the interest in the practice that I wanted to do that and then I was able to gain that result by, by doing that. So um, consider for yourself some case like that, either um, a skill, cooking, craft, art, or uh, some personal quality that you've developed and what ways of thinking supported that.